right, we're back. My name is Mike Dice. Elias Sabeda. This is the third episode of the Extra Rounds podcast coming to you live, well, kind of live from Chicago. At one point we were live. Yeah, temporarily delayed. <laughs> That's a good way to phrase it. Uh, from Chicago. We're, we're working on getting it live. We're almost there. But we have a great show. We want to break down uh, some stuff that happened in the UFC since the last time we hosted the podcast. Uh, UFC in Salt Lake City. Uh, there was the UFC 202 conference call with Conor McGregor, so you know that was loaded with sound bites. And uh, then we wanted to welcome on a couple of guests. We have Lex McMahon of Titan Fighting and Stefan Struve, a UFC heavyweight, both joining us separately to talk uh, about MMA, but mainly to talk about their project, uh, Helping Veterans uh, yeah. at Heroes USA. Um, so we're looking forward to that later in the show. But uh, first things first, let's jump right into it. So... UFC Salt Lake City was supposedly <laughs> a fairly entertaining show, and neither one of us watched it. It's a word on the street that it was a good good card. I didn't watch it. I would have watched it, but the reason why I didn't watch it was because my satellite uh, was not cooperating. There was this stupid adapter that wouldn't work, so I missed it, and I got frustrated. The internet that we have at home is not the best, so I gave up on the live stream. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that good of a reason. I just the, the weekends, the Saturdays off have been few and far between for the last four years, I didn't. We weren't doing our uh, our post wrap up live show, so I, I used that as a good excuse to eat pizzas and then go to sleep. Well, I enjoyed it. You know, there's uh, so many shows, and especially in the fallout from Fight Week, yeah. that it becomes almost difficult to like keep up with because yeah. there's three nights of fights in Fight Week. Then they fight midweek. Then they fight the next Saturday. Then there's the UFC on Fox in Chicago. Then after that, there was UFC two hundred one. And it's like, this was a breather right. needed. And then once we get through this week, there's no fights this weekend. Next week's the build up to 202. Then it's uh, only two weeks after that is 203. You know, so then it's like it picks right back up into that. that, that I mean, it is hard to keep up with. I'm not complaining. Like, it's, it's an awesome problem to have this many fights. Like, we have, if you take all the teams in Major League Baseball and you count all their games, like how many baseball games are there in season? So I'm not complaining. I just I'll take I'll take the week off when I have it. I am going to watch some in replay though. There are some fighters on that card that I really really like, including the two on the, the main event. Um, so I am going to watch it in replay. But no, I definitely did not watch so, it live. The Rangers, because I'm from Dallas. The yeah. Ra- when the Rangers won, well went to the World Series in like 2010 or 11. Uh, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon late and watched. I watched all the playoff games. But then the next year, I was like, I'm watching every game, and like I did really well for a week. <laughs> <laughs> it just got to be too much. And then the same thing with the Cubs, because now that I live, and we're yeah. living, you know, live in Chicago, and I'm lived really close to Wrigley, and you see all the people going to the games. It's hard not to get swept up into yeah. it. And then after last year, I was, this year I was like, I'm gonna watch all the games. All the games. I it lasted a little bit further, like maybe two and a half, three That's weeks. Impressive. And then it was just this is just too much. I haven't been good at about fo- as good at following other sports other than boxing and MMA since for well over a decade, probably since I started covering boxing and MMA. For a living, like when I was a kid, I would watch. I was a basketball fan and watched the Bulls. Grew up here in Chicago. I was. I watched most of the games for like a lot of those, a lot of those years. Watched a lot of White Sox games. Have not been good about it since then in terms of like that frequency. There's just you know when you, when you have you have MMA and you have boxing, it's tough to find any time. Well, see, like I, I'm good about watching every Cowboys game, mm, but it's like mm, once a week. Right, football's easier. So you got one team that's your favorite. You got 16 right. games. Yeah, no, that's doable. With MMA, I think it's doable more often than not because mm-hmm. it's one week, uh, one week or one day 
a week. Right. And most often than not, it's three week, uh, three days a month. Yeah. Unless you for UFC cards, you know, then you have Bellator and stuff sprinkled in. And sometimes they have multiple events in a month, which really makes things crazy. Like June, they had two yeah. events, I think, in back-to-back weeks. Or um, Anyways, it, it can get to be a lot. So we're making a lot of excuses to validate the fact that we didn't watch this past right. weekend. <laughs> so I don't know if we're trying to justify <laughs> it to them or ourselves. <laughs> That's but, right. I'm ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, your Rodriguez is thoroughly entertaining so yeah. like i'm gonna go back and watch that fight and so I is alex Saras, you know yeah. like a great fight and rodriguez is i think an intriguing prospect absolutely you know, he's putting together wins and it's only a while before we um see him burst onto the scene further and as far as like mexican mma goes it's kind of like an untapped area i feel like mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. there's more potential in terms of athletes and fighters that we haven't even like tapped into yet you have big names like Kane or Henry Cejudo, but they're, uh, I think, more viewed as American. Right, right, right. Because they, they grew up here. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rodriguez lives in, in Chicago now, but he's, he's Mexican. He was from right. Mexico, yeah. Yeah, he was on uh, Latin America, right. Ultimate Fighter and right, all right. that. So, um, well, there's some good fighters. Like Everyone knows that, right? Like There's good Mexican fighters in the world, and I think now we're starting to get a peek of that in MMA. He's one of those guys who's like really nice in person, but he can be soft spoken at times <laughs> and quiet. But like he will, he will destroy you. He's a savage man. He just yeah. he, he has no qualms about just trying to put a hurting on you and like make you look silly because he does these crazy, crazy moves. Yeah, and so, Caceres is very flamboyant as well. So one other thing about this card was that Cub Swanson was on the yeah on the fight his, pass his, his, his return. Yeah. What do you What are your thoughts on like someone like Cub Swanson being put on the fight on the fight pass <laughs> feature prelim? I, I get this feeling that. The UFC is trying to put really high caliber, well-known guys and gals uh, high up, or if not the, the quote-unquote main event of Fight Pass cards, because they want to sell more Fight Pass su- subscriptions. So there's less eyeballs on them, but it might entice people to want to want to buy it. And I say all that to say that I think, although it on its surface seems like a disrespect, right? Like that's the and right. it might be it might be a disrespect to guys like him or. Joe Lozon or Jim Miller or Takanorigomi or Uriah Faber, I think in an, in another sense, it's it's a respect to them as well because it's it's a nod that they may be a big enough name, exciting enough fighter, to entice people to pay for a subscription to something, um, which which is interesting because I think, and then that begs the question of like how much of a percentage of the royalty of, of subscriptions do fighters deserve? Right. I don't I don't know that they get any of that, but but yeah, no. I, I, so it's an interesting thing. I think Cub Swanson. Is a, is a great fighter. You wouldn't expect to see him there, but hopefully he got a few people to, to sign up for a fight pass because of it. So you think that it just needs to be a change in perception from the fighter's viewpoint, not necessarily the fan's viewpoint, that, that the fighters need to embrace it more because they're being viewed as the guy even though they're in a prelim car. Yeah, I mean, they, I could see why they wouldn't want to. I think they could choose to see the upside of it if they want but yeah it's tough because if you're trying to argue to sponsors and it's really hard to argue to get sponsorship now uh, uh from if you're a ufc fighter because you're not allowed to represent them on fight week you want to at least be able to tell them i got you know this many i got exposed my fights get exposed to this many viewers and fight pass as successful as it may or may not be is not going to be at the same level as as cable or pay-per-view for the most part or even like uh big fox certainly so i can see why some of them wouldn't wouldn't like it some some fighters are all on board like or at least publicly they're like yeah i don't care that's great i don't care how many i remember we talked to joe lozon before his last fight and he was on fight past ufc 200 he's like I, I don't care where i'm on and when you're approaching the fight obviously you have to think that because you have to care about the person who's trying to beat you and you have to f- focus on that um 
But other fighters openly complain about it. So I don't I don't want to tell them they need to get over it because they know more about what's valuable to them than I do. But uh, there, is an, there is a possible upside to it. But yeah, if you're being used to sell subscriptions to something, you should also have some piece of that something as well. So the other big notable event before we move on, yeah. Court McGee getting a huge pop in front of the Salt Lake City crowd. That's awesome. Utah native. Um, again, I couldn't watch the fight because of the cable or yeah. satellite. But... Uh, you know, you saw the videos, people tweeting out and whatnot, which was good to see. He's somebody who has like a really interesting story. Definitely does. And fascinates me outside of the cage. You know, his um, battle with sobriety. And of course, that's one that I identify with. And, um, you know, I, I just it felt good to see him get like that kind of response from his yeah. own crowd. Um, Especially in large part, probably because it has to do with because people know a little bit about his story. And so to see people support one another. Because of struggles that they know, uh, they've gone through that. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. So let's shift gears yeah. because the next two weeks are going to be all about <laughs> Conor McGregor and yeah. ATS. Yeah. Were you on the UFC 202 call? Uh, no, I knew you were going to be on it. I, I jetted out of here after uh, we were doing some work, uh, I know, last week. So I, I let you cover it. But I heard some snippets. Uh, I know you got some more for us. So I want to hear more of it. Yeah. Ex- yeah, let's run down the clip. So first of <laughs> all, um, Nate made his prediction or not Nate, I should say, uh, Connor made his prediction. He's been known to make predictions. And uh, I think he predicted a first-round knockout of uh, Nate Diaz in their last fight. Did he? Yeah, I forget now. Now he's going for what? Uh, well, I'll play the – well, we got the oh, audio. Here we so go. Here we go. Audio. David right. Martin at Fox Sports asked the question. Uh, so credit to him. All right, hold on. Yeah, you know, I think I just kind of ended up, you know, just saying I was going to stop the guy in the fourth round. If I really look at it, I thought, you know, he has a he has a solid chin. He's durable, very experienced. He has he has the size and the weight on me. Um, I think that was that was the wrong thing to go in expecting the fourth round. And I did the well to KO him in the fourth round. I hope he can say that. I marched forward and backed him up against the fence and peed off on his on on his head. And I did what I said I would do, but. You know, respect to him. He stuck it out. He was, he was durable. He was experienced. He he weathered the storm. Um, but this time, I will be. Uh, I mean, I'm still going to march forward. I'm still going to press him. I'm still going to bust him. There's just going to be a lot more in my tank. I'm just going to. I'm going to be a lot more prepared for a man that can that can stay in there with me. So, but even still, uh, I, I I struggle to give him past round three if i was to make a prediction which i will right now i believe i will repay the favor and ko him inside the second round so there you have it yeah second round knockout that's uh i liked hearing from connor in that way i think he gave his opponent respect and uh, obviously he's got to be confident and you know i i can kind of see where he's coming from i think there's there's two trains of thoughts for 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 kind of uh, prognosticating uh with this fight one you could think hey it's kind of a bad matchup for Connor. He's, he's a little too small, and uh, Nate's a little too durable, and Nate can touch him up just as much as he can get touched, and then he has an advantage on the ground. So it'll probably be Nate. But there's another way you can think about this, which is how many more big shots can Nate Diaz take? He's been taking them since he was a teenager at the professional level. He took big ones against Connor. At some point, he's, gonna be able, he's not going to be able to stay awake while taking those big shots. Probably they're both going to touch each other. So... Uh, you know, Connor makes some good points. If he feels that he's going to be able to find Nate's chin again, and he should feel that way, 
because he should be confident in himself. He, he should be thinking, yeah, you know what, the one thing that's going to change here is I'm in better shape. Of course, it's a little more complicated than that, Nate Diaz is going to be a lot better shape to, as well, you know. Well, to compare it to baseball, hmm. uh, people say that batters, when they go to the All-Star break and they're in the home run derby, that they leave the All-Star break in somewhat of a slump because mm-hmm. they're swinging to hit these home runs and it gets their swing out of a rhythm because they're trying to hit for home runs in the home run derby. And, you know, it's an exhausting thing. Like, I think, you know, you end up hitting however many baseballs and swinging the bat so many times and hitting all, you know, I don't know. I think Josh Ham- or yeah, Hamilton hit like 20 plus oh. in one round of the home run derby at one point. Anyways, I'm not a baseball expert, but Conor McGregor in that first round was teeing off. Like he was looking for the first, uh, for the knockout. He was trying to finish actively trying to finish it in the first round at he UFC was. 196. And he wasn't, um, and he was swinging for the uppercut and that's what he was looking for. And he tired himself out like the old rope dope kind of, but yeah. Diaz wasn't necessarily going with the rope dope. Connor just let him have it. But, uh, and you mentioned that after the post in the post fight press conference, the energy managing energy, right. and it'll be interesting to see how Conor McGregor makes an adjustment so that he can still look for the knockout without tiring himself out. Like he did in the first fight. You know, when we, when he fought Aldo, it was all about drawing him into a trap right. and then, creating the shot using his movement to create the shot that would get him the win and that's what happened on the first exchange like he said you know he's going to come in i'm not going to be there i'm going to counter and that's what's going to do it and that's how he won the fight but like he went actively hunting yeah for the for the knockout and yeah. that tired himself out so it'll be interesting to see if he manages his um energy and if he can then he certainly has a chance to knock him out in the second round sure i think will it happen I'm not quite as sure that it will. And the longer the fight goes on, the more the odds swing Diaz's way. Like, Connor, has he ever been in a fight that's lasted longer than three rounds? He's only been to, I think he's only Maybe had a three-round. Maybe earlier career before his UFC. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. The only three-round fight he's had in the UFC was Max Holloway. And it was because he tore his oh, ACL. Right, right. And, um, but, I mean, he's not accustomed to going that deep. At least I don't think. No, not, not as, not certainly not as accustomed as, as Nate Diaz is. Yeah. Gone, who's gone five championship rounds. I mean, he's gone the distance many a time. Right, right. And, um, so it'll be, it's an interesting matchup to see. Connor definitely yeah, has definitely the incentive is. to try and finish it early. He, I think you're right. I think he's, he's, he's talking about himself as like, you know, I'm going to out-endurance Nate Diaz, and I don't, I don't know that anyone's going to. Very few people have been able to do that. Maybe Clay Guida. You know, I, it's like it's, it's, it's tough to do, and I think Connor, had, like he can't think about this, what I'm about to mention, because it would mess with his own head. But for all of his, you know, inefficiencies with hunting for the, the knockout and all that type of stuff, he had a full training camp. And the person he fought had no training camp. And, and don't, you know, the, the lies are still propagated out there. If you watch the fight, and, and you should, it's an awesome fight. It's on YouTube for free on the UFC's channel. You still hear, hey, uh, you know, uh, Nate Diaz is training for a triathlon. Nate Diaz was not training for a triathlon. And even if he was, it's not a fight. It's different. He was vacationing in Mexico. Yeah, and he told that to Dana White so to assure him that he could still do the fight. So Nate Diaz out-conditioned uh, Conor McGregor, who had been in camp for probably three months on no training camp on a few days' notice. That's kind of crazy. You know, now Nate Diaz is certainly going to be in better shape as well. And, and I think that will embolden him to come out a little faster as well so it'll be an interesting thing if connor's going to be a little bit more efficient maybe that'll mean he'll, he'll he'll sit back a little bit more now 
Nate might come at him a little bit more too. It'll be interesting. Connor's a great counter striker. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it could be a very similar fight, but it could also end up being a very different fight for any number of reasons. It's yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. The other thing that all plays a factor as far as the conditioning goes is that Dia or McGregor is used to fighting so much lighter. Yeah. So fighting carrying that weight, yeah, like the weight carry process is a bad thing for right. like, the body to go through. But at the same time, you're you're carrying less weight. Right, and you're yeah. going through that, and you know, even though you, you put on that weight before the fight, it, it's just a different process than just being like walking into a fight at your walking weight. It'll be very interesting. You're right. You bring up a good point, Mike. I mean, I, I'm inclined. I was inclined to say, "Hey, listen, you didn't have to cut weight. You should have a lot more energy." However, made of 170 may be a bit more than not cutting weight for for Conor McGregor. Maybe it means he doesn't have to diet that much leading into it as well. And so, although he will, may have more energy, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just he's not used to to, to moving around all that all that meat <laughs> on fight night. So it'll be it'll be really curious to see what he does. We know, although Nate Diaz is not really a a welterweight, uh, he's fought there and he didn't look tired, you know, when he fought there against great competition like Rory McDonald. Rory beat him pretty good, but he, Nate didn't like gas out or anything. So, you, you know, I agree with you that the longer it goes, the more it would seem to favor. Nate Diaz. So for all Connors talk about, I'm going to be patient. You know, he, he he. I think he's very aware that he still should probably have to get it done quick. And moving on to the next quote Uh-oh. from Connor McGregor, we got from here. He uh, he was asked by MMA junkies. Um, I can't remember exactly who. It was an MMA junkie reporter. He was asked, Mister Junkie, did Mister Junkie? Yeah, Mister Junkie. Okay. <laughs> he asked. Uh, he asked if Connor McGregor, if he were to win the fight. If he would grant uh, Nate Diaz Great a question. trilogy, and so the clip that I have is Connor's answer, and then he kind of directs the question to Diaz, mm. uh, who gives his opinion on it as well. So we have both of that in here. One hundred percent, of course. Awesome. Maybe not and straight away, but most certainly this will be a trilogy fight. Me and the boy have something. And it ain't finished yet. Nate, um, same question to you. If uh, if you can't get the job done uh, at UFC 202, would you like an immediate rematch instead of a trilogy fight with uh, Connor? Who wouldn't want a rematch with somebody who beat him? And that's that. That's I love it. Has I love it about. from both guys. Connor doing the right thing and saying, yeah, even if I get this, I, I should have to do it again. And Nate being like, yeah, sure. It's a win-win for Nate, no sure matter what happens. When, if, if he wins the second time, McGregor and him are done, and he'll always have that. Yep. If he loses, he gets the trilogy out and a third payday. That's awesome. Which is what he would like. Absolutely. And it works for Connor, too. Connor makes big money fighting anyone. He makes bigger money fighting a, a guy who can sell the fight like Nate Diaz. And this fight, it's just like even though they've just fought a few months ago, it hasn't built in steam. And you yeah. heard Connor say that if they if he won and there wasn't to be a trilogy fight, it wouldn't be immediately. And we've yeah. heard Dana White say that Conor McGregor's next fight will be against Aldo, and he's going to make him defend the featherweight yeah. belt. Let's see, so the trilogy bout wouldn't come away, but it's it'd be a chip that the UFC yeah. would have Absolutely. to like use down the road. How far down the road that is, yeah. who knows? Like, that, is it next July, at, you know, during the fight week or is it next, de- the December after that, yeah. you know, who knows? But 
Um, it doesn't need them to be coming off of wins to be a sellable fight at this point either, right? No, like this it's, is it's, the old bad blood. Yeah, and it's real and it's rivalry. cool. They like both really respect each other and really dislike each other, so it's, it works. It works well, and and any everything is negotiable. Like the, Dana White says a lot of things. Like who knows? Depending on how it ends, they could do it. They could run it back right again. They they the UFC doesn't usually turn down the biggest money options lately. But yeah, who, I mean, <laughs> I feel bad for Jose Aldo and everyone else being held held up. But yeah, we would see. I, I love hearing that from both guys. That's for all the trash talk. That's respect from both guys there. The other thing that's interesting, you mentioned them, uh, Connor respecting him. Yeah. So one of the big things that I was wondering is like, once this fight starts building up again, how is Connor going to be himself? You know, before he had this undefeated in the UFC uh, thing, which was kind of like the platform or foundation yeah. for his trash talk. Uh, now he's been beaten and he's fighting somebody who's beaten him so how does he alter his trash talk and he's still doing the same conor mcgregor stuff but he's tweaked it slightly so during this conference call he was asked about uh, the first the the first fight or whatnot a few times and you know he talked a lot about where and i think for the most part kind of frankly about where he fell short Mm -hmm. which was underestimating his chin or his durability and these things so he's still managing to find ways to talk trash, but like give Nate respect. And Nate, for his part, was giving him respect as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, in most areas there was her, in some areas where he didn't. <laughs> but you know, there's it's it's been interesting to watch versus how it happened very quickly the last time. That um, is really interesting. I'm betting once they get them in, get in the same space, like it'll get ugly and senseless again, maybe from Connor, and he'll just say stuff that maybe doesn't make sense. But yeah, I like that. I, I think. It's cool. I think that Conor McGregor has some analytical depth to him, and he could still be himself without saying ridiculous things, without saying like ignorant things. Without like he could still he could still do it. He's gonna have to like eat it a little bit, which it's good for his motivation. Like, yeah, he got me, but this is gonna be this time. It's gonna be different, for, you know. And he could still make all sorts of promises without like doing weird, baseless denigrations of like the essence of your opponent or something. So I think he can do it. But I bet once they're face to face, it's just gonna get like nasty quick. I'm glad you brought that up because this brings us to our third. Oh, <laughs> so the third to the third soundbite I have. So Justin Barrasso from Sports Illustrated, yep. shout out, asked him about uh, the WWE. Oh uh, um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Justin <laughs> at Sports Illustrated does a lot of coverage with the WWE. He also does some uh, MMA interviews, so he kind of uh, has a foot in both sides. And he asked him about the WWE, if he would ever be interested in that. Good I think question. the genesis of that is because the rumor um, that's out there is that the UFC is sending someone to a WWE event as kind of like a quid pro quo for Brock Lesnar yeah. being at UFC 200. Yeah. You know, most people would think it'd be somebody like maybe Ronda Rousey. She's already done a WrestleMania, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's already a natural fit there. She's a fan. But, um, you know certainly fans think conor mcgregor would be an interesting crossover because of his personality but whether that actually he's openly said in the past that he's not necessarily a huge fan of the wwe yeah um because it's fake but anyways he asked if he would be interested in about brock lesnar and conor had uh conor mcgregor like thoughts to share about it so uh i'm apologizing in advance for some bad language on this but here we go you know, I haven't really, really thought about it. For the most part, those those WWE guys are pussies. To be honest, they're they're messed up pussies. If you ask me, I mean, fair play to Brock, he got in a fall, but at the end of the day, he's juiced up to the fucking eyeball. So how can I respect that? 
Um, what's the other guy? The other guy he hasn't fought yet, so I don't know about him yet. But um, I mean, there's some there's some dons in in that wrestling game. I mean, the McMahon's they're dons. Um, Triple H is a don. The Rock is a don. But the rest of them are fucking. The rest of them are pussies, man. I I don't know. I mean, I haven't really talked about that to be honest. Again, that's a little bit more show business. So this is this is the fight business. <laughs> so. This obviously became a thing over the weekend. Um, he's, I remember in the lead-up to his fight with Dustin Poirier, he was doing a press conference. It was him, Daniel Cormier, uh, Poirier, and John Jones. And it was like, I think it was in an August 2014 press conference. It was the four of them on stage. They were sitting on stools. This was when Jones and uh, uh, Cormier were supposed to fight at 178 before it got pushback gotcha uh to january where it ended up being so someone asked him and he was like eh, it's fake stuff he's like i've never really been into it so he goes on and call questions their toughness yeah which has always been a big gripe uh for wrestlers it's a soft spot for them it, it should be because they're very very tough even though they're not competing right. I mean, the the outcome might be scripted, but right. what they're doing is not fake. Like, they're, no, they're hurting themselves. Yeah. They're letting others hurt them. It's, when you it's jump tough. off a steel cage like, <laughs> right, onto right. a table, sure, there might be like an inch of padding, but let's you know, you're you're still hurting. Yourself. They're very so. Connor's very wrong, and what he was implying is that they're not tough human beings. He's, they're very very wrong. A lot of wrestlers took offense. I saw one, and I tweeted back at them. I think I think what I would imagine he takes offense at the posturing or the acting as though they're all fighters, which are not. Well, so then <laughs> McGregor doubled down on Twitter, and I think this is really what sent everything into to a... Uh, I saw this. This is great. ...into a frenzy. He said, I didn't mean no disrespect to the WWE fans, so I'm assuming WWE fans read the articles about what he said and hit him up on Twitter. Right. And he said, what I meant to say was that I'd slap the head off your entire roster and twice on Sundays. <laughs> he might need to do it with a kick, but yeah, he could knock their heads off. <laughs> so there's... So all the WWE people start blowing him up. Like yeah. it, it seemed like every WWE superstar like addresses. Like Chris Jericho uh, responded and called the uh, UFC fake. Uh, then there was um, Roman Reigns who just told him to shut up because he was the size of his leg. I responded to that by the way. Yeah. That was hilarious. What'd you say? I said I said Roman, it wouldn't be a leg measurement competition. And I and I think that's the thing they have to realize. They have to like, of course, any man or any woman wouldn't like someone just insulting them. But they're really missing the point. I think we're past 1993, right? We've all Hoist Gracie fought. We've seen this. Like, if you know nothing, if you know nothing of fighting, and you you've not trained it, and you go against someone who has, and they're a lot smaller than you, they're they have a really good shot at getting well, that's you. What jujitsu was developed for is to to exactly. counteract size advantage. That's why I always yeah. love seeing like the the videos of people fighting online. And, some like huge jacked bro and he's like oh, i took jujitsu and it's like if you took jujitsu you would know that jujitsu's purpose is to yeah. you know remove the, any size advantage um but anyways i guess they think they could beat them just because they're bigger yes yeah, so, so a bunch of people <laughs> reach like uh was going at him on twitter about it maybe more notable you know, kurt angle rick flair um so here's my thoughts one i don't think connor really cares um, this works one of two ways either one connor has been reached out about doing an appearance at wwe which isn't out of the crate like out of the, i mean snoop dogs wrestling yeah. maria menounos has wrestled at a <laughs> wrestlemania like let that sink in 
She has. I was there. I saw it in person. Did you go Snooki, for that? Did you go for Snooki that? Snooki wrestled <laughs> at a WrestleMania. Yeah. Okay. Floyd Mayweather came in and had a feud with the Big Show. It's a big tent. You know, so there's a crossover appeal, and Connor's enough, savvy enough to where he would recognize that, and he would take advantage of it, I think, if they offered it to him. Sure. Whether he likes it or not, I right. think he would see the advantage in him. The other issue, the other option, which I think is actually the one, is that Conor McGregor, who he mentioned on the call, and you've probably seen online, has launched his own website, mm-hmm. themaclife.com, where you're like, site. yeah, he provides all these like videos uh, into it, kind of like embedded style, yeah. but into his personal life and whatnot. Um, and he's trying to get that going. He talked about that on the call and how he was trying to launch this media empire, uh, which, by the way, good luck. We, you know, but anyway, that's another story. Um, it's harder than it looks. <laughs> right. He, uh, so anyways... He now has he noticed that the WWE uh, fans were upset about the comment. He sends out the tweet to rile really rile them up, you know. And then all these WWE superstars. I think that's when uh, most of the uh, backlash came from the WWE superstars themselves, because they. Which back to option one, if he is showing up, like he's already set himself up as a heel and has this like thing going. Anyways, absolutely. Back to option two. They all start retweeting him or tweeting at him. They have huge followings themselves. Right. So Mike Bond of uh, MMA Junkie and Rolling Stone tweeted out that the, all, of the U, all the WWE superstars who tweeted at him had a combined total of 14.2 million Twitter followers. Like, Good job, you Connor. don't get more free promotion than that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful. Like, how many followers do you think he picked up? Or how many? No. And the other thing is, like, remember the early days, the Ultimate Fighter came on after Raw, yep. and the Raw fed into it, and there was, like, that agreement, and, like, the UFC tapped into the WWE fan base. WWE fans are more willing to embrace the UFC, whereas there's a larger segment of MMA fans who shun anything WWE away. Like, it's the crossover is one direction. It, and it's definitely UFC towards WWE, yeah. and for the most part. And, uh, I mean, Brock Lesnar obviously brought in some crowd. But well, that, wait, so wait. It's still the direction you're I'm talking about. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. direction yeah, yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So he's tapping into that definitely. by rolling this up. So he's trying to launch this website. Yeah. He's trying to sell pay-per-views. He's trying to promote himself. And he accomplished all that with one tweet. Yeah. And Mike Bond, who tweeted that out, you know, 14.2 million followers combined amongst the WWE superstars who referenced him. Uh, John Cavanaugh, who's Connor's to- uh, quote, just responded to that tweet with a smiley face. <laughs> and it's like, this guy, he just played you guys and you don't even realize it. Or they realize it. They realize yeah. it. Or it's a SummerSlam yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, no, not a SummerSlam thing. A WWE event down the line. There's right. no way in hell Connor McGregor is appearing at SummerSlam, no. which is the day after 202. No way. No, but they'll take Connor and the UFC is so big that the WWE stars will gladly take some of their shine. Like they're hoping, I guarantee you, Roman Reigns, Chris Jericho. I, I, I haven't watched wrestling for a long time, but I, when I did, Chris Jericho was 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 in it. And I, I'm a big fan of his. I guarantee you, they would love if Connor like replied back to them or said something. Like it goes both ways because they're all pretty big stars at this point. So it it works for everyone. I think there may be some real like being pissed off about it too but it, i think they're all very savvy so I, I i'm with you man i think that makes a lot of sense well rick flair <laughs> what, did, what did rick flair say i didn't see that really so rick flair <laughs> was first he was he's responded in several tweets hold on let me pull it up <laughs> yes he his first one was um 
Let's see. Okay. Oh, there's three tweets. Three tweets. First one was a picture of him I like that. from his famous uh, promo back in his, um, I want to say NWA days, where he was, you know, the jet flying, yeah. limousine the WCW ride. belt there. Yeah. Nice. So he... Uh, he goes, coming from a guy who built a career copying my persona, I expected <laughs> the type of class we got from Ronda Anderson, which, great point, because that's totally, like, I never, like, that's basically, everybody yeah, says definitely. Connor is copying Chael Sonnen's playbook, but, like, he's really doing a Ric Flair thing. Absolutely, and Ric Rick Flair, obviously, was copying Gorgeous George's, though. A hundred percent. So, Ric Flair didn't make it up either. But that's the, like, like, everything. did an awesome job. With and it. that's how everything goes in wrestling. Yeah, like, totally. everybody's, it's always a recycled totally, to totally. some extent. So. That's a good point, uh, too. But that's awesome. I like that retort from a So then he, go, then he responds after that. After Diaz finishes you, I dare you to try guys like Dolph, Brock, or Fit. Or <laughs> you're welcome for your gimmick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then um, he tweeted out of that. If anyone doubts whether or not Dolph could tie Connor in a knot, do yourself a favor and Google some, his accomplishments. He's talking about is Dolph Ziggler if you don't watch don't wrestling. Is, yeah. But he wrestled collegiately at um, Kent. Uh, Kent State um. and was very successful as a collegiate wrestler. Uh, he said, I know he set a bunch of rec- wrestling records at the school. I don't know necessarily how his accomplishments lined up sure. in the grand scheme of things. I don't remember. I know I've read an interview where he's talked about it before, and I, but I don't remember the details of what mm-hmm. it is. But I know he was really successful. So, yeah, th- there's that element. That's cool. I mean, to his credit, like, it's funny that Ric Flair's uh, chastising someone for not being classy, but but because as if he didn't, you it's know, there, as part man. of his chick was not talking a lot of trash about people, so I bet he appreciates it. All I can keep thinking is like Connor, uh, Ric Flair being like, I spent more more money on spilt liquor in a year <laughs> than you made, and it's just like, I just want to see Connor McGregor, like, I really want to see that. him bust out that line. I could totally see him, that'd be awesome. Chal Sonnen would steal stuff from, from wrestlers, so like verbatim, yeah. so it would be funny if he could, but you know, Ric Flair brings a good point. Ric Flair, I think, I mean, not to the level of guys like the, uh, Dolph uh, that you're mentioning or obviously Brock Lesnar but you know Ric Flair wrestled like uh, he, he learned how to wrestle uh, as, a, as an amateur so he's pointing out listen because Ric Flair is a fan of the UFC he's had a lot of events right. uh, he's pointing out listen there's, there's real competitors in here as well so that's that or is a very fair point. Real people with real experience in combat sports, exactly. And wrestling, we've seen it's become a pillar of. Of course, MMA. absolutely, absolutely. So he, even, yes, he he Conor McGregor would have some trouble with like a high level heavyweight wrestler for sure, for sure. NCAA wrestler, yeah. But even someone like like uh, Daniel Bryan, mm. like he's tr- he trains and all that. Uh, he li- I think he even lived in Las Vegas for a while mm. to train. And he trains, you know, uh, the Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu and all that. I wonder so, how much time he has to train. I don't know him. I mean, but, I mean, you're on the road a lot. Oh, is he, is he not well, on I mean, the anymore? Or is he retired? He's retired. Ah, okay. Neck injuries and stuff. Oh, gotcha. But, but, I mean, like, I read his biography, and he was talking about his biography, about how he enjoyed that and trained it a lot. And he That's worked. Cool. He The different the thing, like, people you are probably going to listen to this and say, well, CM Punk said he practiced Jiu-Jitsu too. Yeah. But the thing about the That's difference the between – um, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan is that I think Daniel Bryan incorporated those things into his in-ring character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he had what he called like his yes kicks or whatever, where he would like kick the person, which is like a low kick you would yeah. deliver to somebody's front leg. So like he worked on those things and practiced those things, and those things that he learned from the martial arts that he liked, he made a part of his in-ring character. Whereas, like I don't know that uh, CM Punk worked jujitsu into his 
in ring. Yeah, I don't know if he did. Arsenal. Or not. I'm not. I don't watch wrestling close enough to yeah. say that definitively. Right, right, right. No, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, I think that speaks honestly. I don't. I don't know, but I think that would speak more to their respect of MMA than their like ability to put it again, put it to use against a resistant opponent. And the other interesting wrinkle hmm. about this and i know it's completely unintentional because uh. he didn't even know cm punk's name <laughs> he said that other guy that other guy um is that he fights at 203 yeah. in a month yeah and you know there's going to be that ufc wwe crossover yeah. again because yeah. cm punk's finally and fingers fight. crossed making his ufc Jeez. debut so like connor did the wwe <laughs> or did the ufc a solid by like ramping up all that Absolutely. attention unintentionally if it was Absolutely. if he intentionally was trying to get some like a, you know shine for cm punk like he would have known his name right so the, right there was no like effort on his part to accomplish that at all but it's another That's interesting point. it's another interesting wrinkle to it it uh, is it is and i'd like that these athletes usually respect each other other than conor mcgregor like <laughs> there's so many pro wrestlers that seem to uh like mma like i you know i i am familiar enough to know like undertaker and i remember even when i was watching he would wear the harbinger gloves which are like the first he was Emmerich the first ones. one yeah to wear the, like the the fingerless four ounce yeah, yeah gloves. that was pretty cool like well Go- bill goldberg used to wear some of the, some of those shits too but like yeah like and he would do like he and he, he worked jujitsu yeah he did he had like a triangle choke i saw him like he, he had cool stuff so i mean it was it was not a good triangle choke he used to cut that angle <laughs> shimmy back on your shoulders pull on the posture taker but i love that he was doing it so yeah no that's that's pretty funny. I mean, here's the thing. Conor McGregor in training camp, training for someone who knocked him senseless and choked him out, it's just not going to have that much time for people that are pretending to fight. And then he's going to be hyperbolic and like say that they're, they're punks and this and that, which is not true. But I just think at the end of the day, it's probably like that. And, you know, he just he doesn't have time for that stuff. And he's smart enough to capitalize on all that attention. I think he likes to just tweet things out, <laughs> see everybody that's run. That's, that's he just like it's true. like he it's like he has like this master computer where you can watch like people pull up their phones and start banging <laughs> away on their keyboards like, angrily, and, and us on the internet and digital media like run into our keyboards like trying, <laughs> oh, just gotta get this, those guys. You know? Yep. No, oh, that's true. He's he's savvy, man. He's savvy, and so is his coach. They're really good trolls remember those like old things that people would have that they would squeeze up blow air on fires it's like it's got one of those like he'd just be like oh that wwe comment is making the rounds on the internet right. hold on a second let me let me turn this That's up right. a level let me, let me throw it, another it log on the fire i love it you look you read the first part of that tweet you're like oh he's gonna be like you know scale it back a little bit no yeah <laughs> twice on sundays <laughs> twice on sundays that's the best so let's move forward. Our uh, guys telling us that we have Lex McMahon on the phone. Uh, Elias, you want to? Lex, um, thanks for being so. on. Uh, I, I know the a few weeks ago, Lex, you had your Warrior hookup event. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what that is? Yeah, you know, and again, thank you guys for the opportunity and, and the platform to kind of spread some awareness about what's going on. Um, yeah, my background is I did two combat tours uh, in Somalia as a Marine uh, back in what they call the uh, unpleasantness of the early 90s in mm-hmm. Africa. Um, and, you know, I've always been very, very patriotic, and, and I, I believe in, in the idea of service. When 9-11 happened, uh, I actually tried to, I just graduated law school, and I um, was studying for the bar exam. And I actually tried to go back into the military because I wanted to, to serve. And unfortunately, I had been diagnosed with a degenerative eye disease, so they wouldn't let me 
uh, re-enlist. So I made the decision at that point that I was going to, you know, find a way to serve in, in some capacity. Um, so I've done a lot over the years, um, but probably about five years ago, I met a gentleman by the name of Lee Stuckey. Lee um, is now an active duty Marine Corps major. Um, he was a sergeant in Fallujah, then became a, uh, a captain and went over to Afghanistan. So he's done two combat tours everywhere. Um, got, he was blown up and suffered traumatic brain injury and um, watched a lot of his Marines die uh, over the course of his tours. And, you know, finally, I think when he came home from Afghanistan the last time, he was kind of at his, his breaking point. And he had a bottle of whiskey and um, he had his phone sitting on the table and he had a 45 in his mouth and he was pulling the trigger and he was, you know, he was done. Right at that moment, his phone rang and it said across the screen, Mama. And uh, so he put the gun down, picked up the phone, you know, started crying, explained to his mom what he was about to do. And she had him come home. They lived in rural Alabama. And um, she brought him home. He spent time hunting, going fishing. But he did that with, with veterans, you know, that lived in the area. And that experience was really cathartic to him. He said, well, wait a minute. I'm a Marine at the time. He was a captain. But I'm a Marine Corps captain. And I'm having all these issues. And this type of treatment, for lack of a better terms, or therapy, was really helpful to me. Maybe it would be helpful to other people. So he founded A Hero, which is American Heroes, America's Heroes Enjoying Recreation and Outdoors. Um, he asked me to get involved, so I became a, a board member. And, you know, the premise of really what we do is we take guys that are similarly situated and put them in a really fun environment and try to facilitate kind of peer-to-peer therapy. Um, you know, a lot of people who, let's be honest, like 1% of the, the population serves. So the vast majority of the population doesn't really understand what it is to be blown up or watch a buddy die or, or you know, be in a, in, in a combat zone. So they can be pathetic to the fact that someone's experienced that, but they really don't understand it. But if you put other people who have together, you know, they begin, guys begin to open up as they're dealing with stress because somebody understands them. You know, and so the idea is we put them in a fun environment like fishing. And, you know, a lot of times we bring, you know, kind of celebrity guests in to make it even more fun for them. This, this trip that we're, we're talking about in terms of the Warrior Hookup uh, and down in Key West, we brought Stephen Struven. And he, you know, the guys in MMA and the UFC in particular, Really resonates with the military guys a lot, so they loved it. We brought five Navy Seal, or five Marines and one Navy Seal uh, down down on the trip. Plus we had Stefan, and um, you know everybody just you know we spent four days bonding and hanging out and having fun, and you know began to hear people's stories and you know all that sort of stuff. But that's really the essence of what the whole thing is about: is putting these guys who've had some really tough experiences, putting them together in a fun environment and letting them begin to, to heal one another. It sounds like an incredible of, of experience, Lex. How many of you got together for, for this last event? Yeah, the whole thing, it was, it was very um, intimate. 
we were on a boat called the KFC, which is a really cool sport fisher, and we had seven of us on the boat. And, you know, that was the, the week. You know, over the, the years since ABO was founded, we've had over 800 uh, veterans come through to various events, whether it be, you know, with Stephen Thompson, uh, you know, Wonderboy, we took uh, a group of veterans to South Africa to uh, go hunting. On, um, you know, other trips, you know, we take guys to UFC fights, to, you know, Zach Brown concerts, SEC football, hunting, fishing, you name it. Um, we've taken over 800 people on these types of trips. So it's, it's a handful at a time. It's, you know, five or ten maybe trips. Now, you said it was a really small group. Do you like it being intimate like that, or are you looking to expand in the future, or in the future do you envision there being larger groups? You know, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, I think intimacy is, is really good in terms of helping to accomplish the mission uh, of getting these, these folks together. Um, we have done one or two events where maybe we had 20 or 30, um, and that was great. Like, yeah, you know, there's... They uh, here has a farm up in Alabama um, that we, we take guys hunting on all the time. And, you know, so we've had a couple of events where we had more people there, um, you know, maybe 20. And that, that's great, but then everybody kind of gets spread out, and so it's not quite as tight-knit. So what I've found is that really you know, the smaller groups of, let's say, 5 to 10 are the ones that really I think we, we get the most impact out of. We're, we're talking with Lex McMahon, who's been talking about some of the events he does with A Hero USA, which you can find at aherousa.com. Lex, how do veterans get in touch with you all, and, and, and who do you choose, and how does that, how does that work, the selection process, and who, in terms of who gets to be involved with what, um, with what sounds like a really, really fun, uh, fun bonding experience and a supportive, a supportive experience? Yeah, you know, I mean, we... I, I kind of joke around, you know, that there's the military mafia. Like, we only represent about 1% of, of, of the you know, population, but we uh, are pretty tight-knit. And so we, you know, have forums and websites and, and all of that to kind of reach out. We also deal directly with the the um, active duty commands, Wounded Warrior Battalion, uh, Walter Reed Hospital. So it's not necessarily even folks that are veterans, it's active military. Uh, that we bring down sometimes as well. Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of key piece to it is in one fashion or another, whether it's, you know, they, they lost a limb or they suffered traumatic brain injury or they suffered from PTSD, is, you know, these guys have all, guys have gotten all been wounded in one way or another. And, you know, that's the commonality, and some are from the active side, some are from the veteran community. It's such an important cause, and I think... Uh I speak for everyone when I, in the United States, even when I say that uh, everybody appreciates what the veterans do. They put their lives on the line to fight for our freedom. What is the best way that people can go about helping you with this cause? Is it simply donating, or if they can't donate for financial restraints or for whatever, is there uh, other ways to donate by offering resources, perhaps? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate the question because that, that is, I think people want to help. They just don't know the best way. You know, I mean, there's thousands, tens of thousands of charities that deal with just military and veteran issues. Um, so how do you, A, find the right one that is reputable, that is, you know, dealing with, with the right types of issues? Um, you know, we're, 
what I always use is I've affiliated myself only with organizations that donate at least, uh, that utilize at least 90% of every dollar raised to actually serve the, the you know, the poor demographic, the military or the veteran community. Um, a lot of, there are, unfortunately, quite a few organizations out there that are pretty high profile that, you know, take exorbitant salaries for their executive officers and, you know, only 30 to 40% of every dollar raised goes to actually benefiting those who it's intended to. So, um, you know, my personal witness test is I look at organizations like AGA, um, where the, the team is all volunteer-based, and, you know, in a hero sense, I think it's 94% of every dollar raised goes to helping, you know, fund these events and help uh, helping us fulfill the mission. So I think that's one thing. You know, people should look to organizations that, that have that sort of outlook. Um, specifically, you know, uh, helping a hero, there's, there's a lot of ways. We've got this great community of, of folks who, who, you know, support us by donating, but we also have a lot of companies that get involved in you know, this last trip, which was, you know, this fishing trip. We had Salt Armor, who was amazing. It's a great fishing um, performance clothing company. They donated lots of uh, clothes and hats and, and all that sort of stuff for the guys to wear, fully outfitted the guys. Uh, and then we had Skeleton Optics, who is a um, premium um, sunglass company geared towards the adventure outdoors enthusiasts. And they've got, like, really high-end sunglasses with Zeiss polarized lenses, so they're, like, you know, top of the line. And they... The owner is a Marine, so he outfitted everybody with, with glasses and took amazing care of us. So companies, I think, can get involved like that by, by donating, you know, some of the, their products. Because that's great for the guys. It is, everybody loves to get stuff, especially things that are geared towards what we're doing. Um, individuals can get involved by going to AheroUSA.com, and, you know, they can donate to the general fund. Or they can donate to a specific trip. We have everything. We're really transparent. We show where every dollar goes, and we, you know, show what what events are on the on the schedule. They say, hey, listen, you know, we're building a pavilion on on the farm. I want to support that, so you can donate to that cause. Or, hey, I want to send guys to Pensacola to the next Day Hero Warrior hookup in August, so they can donate that way. Yeah, Lex, thanks so much for, for being on. I appreciate the time. And, and, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. You know, Lex, Lex uh, McMahon is a, is a busy dude. Uh, he's, he's a man who wears many hats. He's an attorney. He manages fighters. He helps run one of the best, um, one of the best mixed martial arts promotions in the States. Titan FC just had a, another huge event. Uh, but he's still, uh, it seems like he's still making time to think about um, those who have been in, in the place that he has before, you know, as a, as a military veteran himself. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see him doing this. I like the fact that he says they're giving uh, most, uh, just about all of the, the cents to the dollar, which is, which is a good thing. And uh, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see him getting fighters involved. I know, like he said, Stefan Struve was involved in this last one. We're going to have Stefan on it in, in a moment. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was real cool to hear from him. And once again, that was aherousa.com. Uh, you can go there to donate and see all the projects he was talking about. He was talking about being transparent, uh, which was I thought was kind of a cool thing, too. And I think uh, the peer-to-peer mentoring yeah. that he talked about, I think that's really important. And people don't understand that if you've never been necessarily in a situation 
uh, to understand that I have not been in, in the situation that these veterans have, but I've been in um, peer-to-peer um, assistance programs uh, It before. makes a difference. Yeah, it does. I mean, to be able to talk to somebody who understands what you're going through or what uh, you're dealing with, um, there's just a different level of connection mm-hmm. than somebody who doesn't know and is telling you uh, what to do. You know, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is when my in high school when we had one of the football coaches, uh, he had to fill in for a hockey coach. <laughs> At the end of the third period, he was like, one more quarter, guys. And he's like, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> not how it works. But, you know, there's just like if you understand what the person's been through and, you know, what worked for you to get over it, like mm-hmm. you can. Um, and that's the way it is in, on all things in life. If somebody understands your perspective, they can uh, give you advice uh, better. And so I think it's an important cause. And, it, you know, it's great that he's doing things to help those people and as a veteran himself and um, that, you know, mixed martial artists are stepping up to try and help as well. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, it's it's a good cause, and everybody should go online and check it out. Uh, so I'm getting the signal that we have Stefan on the phone. All right. You there? Yep. Uh, Stefan, I think we, yep, I believe he's on. So we're joined now by Stefan Struve, UFC heavyweight, who's coming off of a huge, huge and quick KO win over Antonio Silva, former heavyweight title uh, challenger. Stefan, thanks so much for uh, for taking time to be on with us, man. Yeah, no problem. So, the first thing we wanted to chat with you about, um, we were we were just talking with with Lex McMahon uh, about a Hero USA, the the last event they put on, uh, which you were a part of, the Warrior Hookup. Um, you got to do some fishing and hang out with some uh, veterans, military personnel. What was the experience like for you? And had is this the first time you've done something like that with veterans? I didn't do um, anything like that before with, um, you know, taking the guys out um, from, from the military. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it, was, it was a great thing to just hang out with them and, you know, just get happy and happier um, during those four days and just have a great time, you know, and uh, give back a little like that. And uh, I'm really hoping that I get to do more of that in the future. And a Hero USA does do uh, a lot of events throughout the year, so we'll definitely stay in um, uh, abreast of those and keep keep our listeners apprised uh, of all that. Uh, now, um, Stefan, I'm kind of curious: when you were out there on the water, was there a lot of talking, or was it just more about hanging out together and having a good time? Uh, I know Lex was saying that this um, this type of hanging out can be therapeutic. Did you did you do a lot of talking, or was it just nice to be there relaxing with with the guys? Yeah, for sure. You know, they weren't doing. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really uh, want to ask them too much. You know, I was like, if you don't want to talk about certain things, then I'll just have them start about it, you know. And for the rest, I'll just hang out with them and just, you know, be myself. I told them, you know, I'm I'm, I'm nobody special. I can fight a bit, but I'm, I'm here to hang out with you guys. And it's a great time, you know, and, and you know, I enjoy your guys' company. And, you know, it, it worked out really good, and I think the guys got a, a lot out of it. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to switch over to, to your career. Um, from, a, from afar, Stefan, it's really been amazing to watch you over the past few years. Now, you've always been um, entertaining to watch, uh, exciting, a battler. Uh, but over the past few years, you've gone through so many struggles, just health scares, um, points where you were told you weren't ever going to be able to fight again, being, you know, proving them wrong, coming back, having you know, so many setbacks beyond that. 
I can't even imagine uh, what it's what it's been like for you um, psychologically, the stress, physically to have to go through so much to come back time and again. Uh, now you finally got back in there and got another win. Uh, specifically, I got a couple wins actually. This this last one was huge. Now I, I read another interview recently where you said you felt like you needed this last win, this fight over Antonio Silva. Talk a little bit about that if you would. Obviously, you, you needed the win. It's what you do for a living, right? You're a young man. This is how you make money. So it's it's good financially. But was it something also? Was it also something emotionally that and psychologically that you felt you needed after so much struggling? Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, I, I've been with the Brazilians for a year and a half now, and I, I see what we do in the gym, and I know what I can do. But um, after all that happened, Scott, um, you know, it left a really big dent, and uh, we have to. Uh, uh, talked about the win which was impressive fashion 16 seconds here's a person who's been training months weeks to fight you to take your head off what is it like to go in and then knock that person out in 16 seconds you know um i i, I believe you, you never know how fast things can go and i didn't think if i would go that fast i i did believe that i would knock them out in the first round, and that, I, I know I had everything to put him down in the first round, but the same thing goes for my fight with Rochelle, the same thing goes for my fight with Nogueira. I was convinced I would put them away in the first round, but then things didn't go the way we wanted to go. And then when you finally pull that out in front of a thousand people in the home country and everybody's going crazy, uh, it's undescribable. It's the best feeling in the world. And you talked about uh, the crowd going crazy. It was in front of your hometown crowd. Uh, you didn't really get much time in front of them inside the cage, but 
you got a very impressive win. Is that an ideal result for you? Yeah, for sure. It was always one of my, my wishes to fight uh, for the UFC in my home country. And um, I, uh, I wasn't sure that was ever going to happen. And then, you know, after being out for a long time, you, you're not sure if you can come back to fight. And, you know, you have a couple fights and, it's, you know, it's not what it should be. And you're not at the level where you should be. And then you get back. You finally get the fight in front of your own crowd, in front of family and friends. And then you put the guy out in 15, 16 seconds. That's just absolutely amazing. Uh, Stefan, uh, you're you're a proud Dutchman. You're a high level fighter, have been for for a long time. Got to ask you, what's what's the development been like in in your home country in terms of the acceptance and popularity of MMA? I'm, I'm very curious. I've, I'm going to Europe for the first time in a couple months. Hopefully, going to Holland. I've met coaches from there, fighters from there. I've never been there. Um, now that you've gotten to to fight on the big stage in your home, what's the development you've seen there in terms of acceptance uh, of the sport? Um, it's it's growing and getting better. Holland, um, people, uh, a lot of people literally know what to think of it, but now they see that it really is a sport. And you know, some people like it, some don't, and you always keep that. Some people like soccer, others don't. Some people like football, others don't. You know, simple as that. But there is a huge fan base um, in Holland for fights. Uh, we have a huge history, as everybody you know knows, not only for kickboxing but uh, for MMA, like. Even 10, 15 years ago, we had huge events in Holland with 10 to 15,000 people in attendance. So, um, especially now that the sport's cleaned up, also in Holland, it's, you know, it's going to make big steps. And, you know, the UFC was already talking about coming back next year because, you know, like the, the crowd and everything. And Holland is a great place to be for us. And um, it, it was one of the best fights they did in Europe for a while. So. Now, if memory serves me correctly, you've been pretty vocal about uh, the Brock Lesnar situation uh, surrounding UFC 200, which has kind of died down now. But now that things have settled down, what is your takeaway from that whole situation, saga, scenario? Uh, you know, the, the only reason I posted that is that, you know, I, I can't believe that anybody would be surprised that he he's using something. Just look at that guy. You know, he's, he's a... He's a silverback. He looks like a silverback. He was, he, was, he was even bigger than in his first career with the UFC. But then we didn't have USADA, and now we do have USADA. Um, you know, it, it was just so funny for me to, to see him get caught. It was so obvious. Um, but you never know, because uh, you know, I, I don't know anything about what, what they use, but apparently they it can get out of your system pretty fast and all that. But apparently... Mr. Lesnar made a mistake somewhere and miscalculated and got caught. So, you know, he comes in, gets a huge payday, cheap, and, um, you know, then he gets paid, but his, his legacy in MMA is worth nothing now. You know, you want to bounce but back then, he was also into his 100%. You know. it's, it's just one big line to me, and it was just funny for me to, to see him get, get caught. And Mark Hunt, who fought him, has been very angry and open about his anger uh, online and via social media accounts. You, as someone who didn't fight Lesnar, but uh, still compete in the UFC, does it anger you as well? Well, I didn't fight him. Uh, I would be pissed off too if they catch him before the fight and then he gets to fight me. And they're fighting him. I think he was close to three and a pound on juice. And, you know, his fighting style is based on strength and power. And, you know, the, the stuff he used that um, they'll give you a lot more power. 
So to have that guy on top of you in in, in the octagon, yeah, you know, it's you could have hurt him really bad, and uh, I definitely be pissed off with that situation too. And I think that's one of the things Sada can improve in. You know, if they catch guys uh, with um, a test before the fight, you know, maybe get their soul back suit so you don't have situations like this come up. Because I do think Usada is doing a great job, and I really love seeing, seeing him catch all these cheaters, because, uh, especially in MMA. You know, in all sports, there, there should be no drops. It should be clean, and um, if, if you use anything and you get caught, that's karma, and I love it. Um, now, uh, Stefan, obviously you probably won't get the chance to do it because I'm assuming Brock won't be fighting again soon. Never going to fight again, man. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm assuming he won't. Um, but because of the because of the doping, you don't have respect for him. Uh, but if you could, hypothetically, in a dream situation, Stefan, would you fight Brock Lesnar? Would you have liked to have gotten to to fight him, knowing what you know about him now? One hundred percent. Like when I saw they announced it, that was one of the first things I told my manager to get in touch with the UFC. I had my hand in the cast because I, I had surgery the week before. I told them that I would take the cast off and start training that day. They, they would give me that fight on four or five weeks notice. It's, it's no problem. I would have attacked them with one hand. Absolutely. So you're, you're obviously pretty eager to fight again. Um, are you pretty much training to be ready to fight if you get the call at any point, or do you have a, a timetable in mind based on your, your hand recovery? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just getting back to uh, being able to uh, really do damage with my right hand. I can hit the pads again, full power. I haven't hit uh, someone's skull yet, so you know we're working back to that. Um, I'm, I'm in shape. Uh, I'm getting ready for training camp because we're uh, we're close to getting a fight fight, and um, yeah, just working hard and hopefully be back as soon as possible to uh, put put down another great performance. Awesome. Stefan Struve, thanks so much uh, for making time, man. It's good to have him on here. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really cool hearing from, from him, man. Uh, he's, an, he's an exciting fighter, uh, and he's, uh, he's, very out, he's very outspoken, man. I, I wanted to hear from him. After seeing his tweets about Brock Lesnar, I wanted to hear from him uh, ourselves. And uh, Pretty cool to hear. He was willing to take off the cast a week after getting surgery in order to get a chance to, to fight Brock Lesnar. Uh, that's that's just crazy to well, me that you would do that. Uh, you need to focus on your health, but that's just the fighter mentality. Yeah. Um, but the whole situation is interesting, and I think why Mark Hunt is upset about it because it directly affected him. It seems like other fighters need to be equally as upset about it. Like they only yeah. people seem to only necessarily really get upset about it when it maybe directly involves them. Otherwise it's the same kind of comments that we all make on Twitter or people right. on Twitter make, you know, but I think if more people get on upset about it, they can be kind of a, a little bit of policing in their yeah. own community. Absolutely. I think Mark single handedly has has pushed this agenda by refusing to to stop talking about it uh, by continually giving interviews and when he doesn't get an interview posting on Facebook himself being really vocal about um, things that he's upset about and and whatever you may think about the particulars um, the the facts the the inarguable facts are very disturbing uh, that once again someone was tested for a UFC fight once again uh, drug tested before a fight once again tested positive and yet um, Supposedly, the results weren't known until afterwards, and there's just there's a process here that that is too slow to keep out people who may be doping or using other drugs of abuse. 
um, in the ring. And, you know, we were at that fight, Mike. And, and uh, you know, after the press conference, Mark Hunt shuffled past me. You know, he took bad damage. Like, he, he's a much smaller man already taking a fight on relatively short notice. And his, he was fighting an opponent that already, just by UFC fiat, was not having to go through the normal um, drug testing procedures that a returning athlete out of retirement was going to have to go through. Um, he already knew that. But then he turns out, oh, this guy, you know, he, he pops even a few days before, and, and, and they just don't bother um, to. Now we're finding out that they could have expedited the, result, uh, the results before a very nominal fee, at least in, in terms of one test would have been think less than $50 and they could have possibly gotten uh, the results back. So there's there's real issues here and there's questions in my view about the infrastructure in place for drug testing and if it's good enough to actually do the things that it's saying uh, it can do. And one of those things is certainly to try to keep athletes who are doping for a fight out of out of the fight if, if they're tested. That's not happening. USADA uh, has to rely on other labs. Like in this case, I think it was at a UCLA lab. So is the infrastructure in place to actually do what we've been told the purpose is? If not, we certainly, you know, that's something we need to, we need to work towards. And because otherwise it's, it's, it's bag negligence, you know, and we've got Mark Hunt who's, who's not playing, who didn't have to, he was not playing on an even playing field um, in terms of his opponent not having to go through the drug testing he was supposed to, an opponent popping and still being allowed to fight. And then Mark Hunt criticizes the UFC who employs USADA and criticizes USADA. And what, are they, what is their response? Well, they showed up to drug test Mark Hunt <laughs> recently. And he uh, supposedly, according to Mark Hunt on his Facebook. So his, this whole thing is not a good look. I'm glad that Mark Hunt's talking about, hey, we need to unionize. Hey, we need to, you know, we need to stand up for these things. You know, I know a lot of fighters are upset about it. A lot of fighters feel the same way Stefan Struve does and Mark Hunt uh, do, uh, does, even if they're not talking about it. So, yeah, hopefully keeps their attention on it because otherwise if there's no pressure there's there's nothing will change there's no incentive for the people in power to make expensive decisions to improve things if, if, it's, if there's no if there's no pressure from folks so i'm at a baseball game mm. and this guy asks like <laughs> what i do and i tell him like i write about the ufc so he he gets a little he's a little belligerent maybe and he's going at me about this john jones uh getting his violating the drug test and getting pulled and brock lesnar violating a drug test before and not getting pulled and this he drug guy is also a journalist, right? Yeah, he's a uh, he's he. <laughs> I'm not letting this guy slide. Oh, well, I don't want to. <laughs> We're not going to name him, but he's. Yeah, I don't want to give the free plug. <laughs> he's a Chicago. Like he ran a Chicago only blog. So, anyways, it got into <laughs> the way you said that. Yeah, it got into. <laughs> think of like a. I don't know. It's just all about Chicago. But anyways, he's going off and he's asking me questions at first and trying to understand it, and then he's telling me like my opinions on it's wrong, and I'm I'm you know just reporting what the UFC wants me to report. <laughs> and it's like, well, the, I'm like, well, the, what he failed to understand though, is that the timeline for John Jones test and Brock Lesnar's test was the same in terms of like getting the results back. And that's what's to be expected. The issue. And I tried to explain this to him and he didn't. And I resisted the urge to t- tweet Mar- uh, Mark Romani's story, Adam to be like, this is exactly what I told you two weeks ago right. is that, they have the ability to expedite it and they don't exercise it. And I think you have to like, you know, there's the, like John Jones test, you know, they say it'll take two weeks to get back. Like they didn't need to expedite that one. But I think Brock Lesnar is like, you, I mean, any drug test for any fighter a few days before, not just Brock Lesnar, but any fighter a few days before, sure. if you're going to do it or a week before you need to try and expedite it to get the results back. Otherwise it's kind of pointless. Um, that being said, uh, I don't know if that's 
not necessarily 100% sure on how that process works, if that's a USADA decision or a UFC decision. But those lines, the fact that those lines are blurred and is a part of the problem. I mean, my gut instinct is to say that, that I think that's a USADA thing that like the UFC just kind of takes like they've brought in USADA and then they're hands off from that. Well, the UFC would have to pay for it. And so it becomes a UFC issue because it's an extra expense. Okay. So I guess I could see that then, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just why the tests don't mean anything. If they still fight, they lose a lot of meaning. That's for sure. I want to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he was tested so much and he did pass so many tests. So it's like, if you're like, Listen, we've tested them six times. They've all been positive. There's no need to expedite this one. So there's part of that in the equation, too. You know what I mean? I guess, but let's keep in mind, I know that's been the line, is that he's been tested so much, he passed so many tests. He was tested less than he was supposed to by USADA's own rules. Let's not forget that. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's definitely... I don't think there's a conspiracy. I just think they're not doing it well enough. Oh, this guy was, like, way up the conspiracy ladder. (laughs) I was like, listen, bro, I'm going to take the tinfoil off the window, and I'm going to go outside with the rest of the people. And uh, anyways, we finally had to tell him quietly to (laughs) mind his own business. But he, uh, you know, it's it's not like... I don't know. The process just needs to be fixed. Like, we just need the test results faster it's always you know, harder to do the things really well and it's easier to do things not so well and i think that's what's happening it's just easier to not do everything we could i mean if you mark that you want the drug test results expedited and the expedited results don't come back fast enough and they said very well in mark Ramondi's piece that holidays and weekends factor into that and yeah. it was definitely fourth of july weekend sure. so that would have factored into it at least you did what you could It'll, exactly you know and there's a little thing called cya cover your ass and they did not do that right and you by doing that, you at least cover all your the right steps so that you f- prevent yourself from being the subject of criticism, um, or worse. <laughs> let's, right. Like, let's see what happens in the future if they continue to be this this boneheaded. You know, um, there's there's other leagues and other athletes taking their leagues to task um, through the courts and saying, hey, you know, we didn't have this and that information available. So I hope that never happens. I want the sport to continue growing, but you got You got to do a little more than lip service to, to health. There's a little uncertainty, maybe to some degree about the future with the new ownership coming in and what lies ahead. But, you know, while they didn't, this situation wasn't necessarily handled the best, you know, it's still better than what it was. Um, I don't know that it was. I like, I see where you're coming from, but what it used to be would we'd have at least an ostensibly or structurally independent regulator right now. All we have is the UFC self-regulating with other, other leagues do that as well. The NFL does. And I think there's a real problem with self-regulation. So in some ways, Yes, there's more testing happening, so that is better. But I think structurally, it's 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 small c corrupt. The U the U when the UFC self regulates, when the NFL self regulates, I just it has it definitionally doesn't have integrity in my view. In my view, self regulation will always be viewed that way. It's dubious, yeah, and it should be. It, it, it but like drug testing be. in the UFC even though they're self-regulating has improved. It's become more frequent. That's for, frequent. that's for sure. And, and maybe it has improved. Like maybe the science of what the, the labs are working with are better. And I just don't know it. You know, it definitely has become more frequent. Yeah. So maybe that in itself, might I mean, be it seems thing. like it's improved just by the fact of the sheer quantity of fighters who are being yeah. caught now. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's like true. UFC on Fox 20, that's George true. Sullivan, who wasn't caught. He like self-reported a substance right. that led into a violation, you know, and he's off the card yeah. and, you know, it's just, it seems like a constant stream. Um, 
for could better be. or for worse. No, it know? could be getting better. It could be. I'm, 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 I'm so focused on the structural flaws of the of these relationships that I could be a little blinded to like positives happening from it as well. That's that's entirely possible. Um, what do you think about Chad Mendes' situation? This wasn't really on our agenda, but since yeah, we're talking yeah, about yeah. this, you know, he's suspended Tough. for what two years? I think. I think and so. He kind of was. He kind of went. Um, said something along the lines of, you know, this was a substance that I forget whether it was tainted or uh, he was just unaware of it or yeah. whatnot. And he's like, but bottom line, I broke the rules, so I'm, I'm going to take the punishment. That, uh, that's, that says something because the people that have been using this tainted supplement, uh, excuse with USADA specifically, uh, and been fighting it, they end up getting these reduced suspensions, which, again, tells me that I guess they didn't really got them. They didn't really have them to begin with because that – that was not something, for example, that we used to fly in Nevada. This is not like the tainted supplement stuff is something that has been used a lot over the years, over the last decade, for sure. And I know Nevada specifically, you know, their practice, generally speaking, was to say, well, it doesn't matter. It's your responsibility to know what was in there. Uh, but it's, it's been seeming to work more with, with USADA for, for whatever reason. So I think he probably, you know, <laughs> if I were Chad Mendes, I would feel like I would have reason to believe that if I pursued that, that quote-unquote defense, maybe I would have a chance for success, but he's not even trying. Well, it's the Diaz-Silva right. fight thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Silva, Silva offered an explanation and apologized profusely, gets a lighter sentence. Nick Diaz pleads the fifth and doesn't play by their rules yeah, and he gets and them. essentially for five years and, and that was in the battle reduced no yeah. that was true and that was a that was a, that was a crazy so it's like travesty you gotta there. play like there's still that element to speaking to your point of yeah. playing the game yeah uh to get what you you know to get what you want but you know the bottom line is it's like a poorly regulated area supplements yeah. you know you go to you go to any store and you pick up a thing of protein or creatine or amino acids or whatever and there's stickers on it that says banned substances approved well who's whose right. list of banned substances right. approved you know or who's who's checking all this and all that but you know they just can throw whatever they want on there because of the poor regulation it is poorly so regulated and it's being used by athletes trust a poorly regulated sport so it's yeah. <laughs> a lot of problems there right. and it's tough i mean i don't i don't i don't know how often that is a quote-unquote legitimate excuse even like it's an honest one like hey it was in the supplement that i used that i was able to buy at a, over the counter i don't know how often that's the case but um, but yeah, it, if it, let's assume it is, it does happen. Let's assume every time someone said that they were just being honest. Yeah, then yeah, then it's uh, it, it it is tricky. But the reality is, these high level athletes are using more than you know GNC their GNC card a lot of times. So it's a t- it's a thorny, tough issue to deal with because I think it's expected of most top level athletes culturally. At the same token, uh, above the board, it's 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 also a taboo. In a greater culture, that's a that's yeah. a weird paradox to have. Yeah, competition's gotten so high well, in all sports that people are just constantly looking for an advantage, like in every little way. Yeah. I mean, there's just it's ridiculous. There's like a great story about breaking down how, um, and especially with the Olympics, this relates like yeah. the swimsuits. How like the swimsuits allow them to glide through the water. It's just like the technology, even like, and that's a legal well, way of helping. Right, right. You, know, you gain an advantage. It's true. Which, or- yeah. No, I mean, no, I'm sorry. Well, there's just so many ways, you know, to yeah. try and gain an advantage. Like, where do we draw the line? Yeah. So there's stem cells uh, stuff, you know, that they're doing to regenerate, you know, like that's clearly awesome and sciencey and yeah, <laughs> beneficial, sciencey. but it's allowed so far, right? Like, <laughs> we need, we need like a, see, this is where a board op would help because he could give us the Jesse Pinkman <laughs> drop. You know, that's right. Science. That's right. Science, bitch. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, 
nobody's ever going to stop trying to gain a competitive advantage. No. You know, I remember what, a couple of years for the Super Bowl when it was like Ray Lewis was using deer antler spray or something. Like it's just for, you know, there's yeah. just so much stuff. But and we celebrate that in like silent ways. Like, hey, they do anything it takes to win. Hey, guess what? That includes drugs, guys. Like when we celebrate that ruthlessness, we'll win at all costs. Win at all costs, that's and we definitely say, yeah. There you go. That's the message. You know, we want faster times. You want harder hits. You want further, uh, you know, home runs. Like, listen, we, we, we haven't evolved as a human species that much in the last 200 years. Like, or it, the last 25 years. <laughs> the last 25 years. Exactly yeah, right. Like some of these sports records are, like, getting smashed. Yeah, or the size of, of guys. You look at the offensive line of the 85 Bears. Great offensive line. They, you know, they, <laughs> they look like linebackers nowadays, oh, yeah. you know? Like, oh, it's, yeah. it, we, we didn't become a different species, all right? Like, our, 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 our diet, our supplementation is improving. Don't celebrate the, the outcomes of that that we'd like. Uh, and ignore the health costs, but then like make weird black sheep of, of people for using it. And for those who are really curious about uh, the way the drug testing works, this isn't obviously it provides a lot of answers, but the the Mac Life, Conor McGregor's yeah. media empire uh, that he's recently launched, one of the videos he him. has on his thing is a video of him going through the USADA drug testing process, which is really interesting. Uh, he shows them showing up. They actually show up at his home, and he's like, we're headed to the gym. Can we do it there? And they said, yeah, but somebody has to ride with you. So like somebody actually rode with him in the car wow. to the gym to, uh, I guess, make sure there's no funny business, business that yeah. happens between the time they showed up and then. And then they stare at you, urinate as well, right. which is awesome. And then, uh, there's, I, it <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it. They get no sample from me. It wasn't Conor McGregor, but so, somebody else, like, I guess tweeted out a picture of it and there's like the or a video or maybe it was from an embedded episode or something. I don't know. And the guy's like in the background, like looking the USADA guy. It's Great just like job. the most awkward thing. Great ever. Job. And he's just like, who, I wonder who they are too. Like, did he have to get like a chemistry degree to go watch know, they people urinate better in college? <laughs> Gosh. I mean, I, who knows? They could be incredibly qualified science experts, whatever. But anyways, he goes through the process and they like offer, they like hand him a package and it's like, a foam thing and it's sealed and he has to break the seal and then inside's like the tubes and the tubes are sealed and he has to do it and then they make them check for any defects in the tube to make sure that there's like no contamination that way or whatnot. So it's not like they're just like, Hey, rinse this one out here. You use it now. Yeah. Right. So like you can make sure everything's sanitary and whatnot. And at one point, which I found really interesting about the whole thing is Conor McGregor makes a comment and he's like, uh, cause he's to a point flabbergasted by the intensity of making sure everything's sanitary and clean. And he says something to the effects of, you know, the Nevada state athletic commission, they didn't give a F, you know, and <laughs> in typical Conor McGregor fashion. And it's just like, man, I, you know, wonder what the, what the having never yeah. gone through the two, right. What the differences. That's are. it. Well, they, they started doing before USADA was hired by the UFC um, to like augment uh, the drug testing that state commissions like Nevada's would do. Nevada did start doing, they did start in paper at least putting, doing year round testing and they started showing up a little bit more. They just, their, their resources are limited and although they're not hired by the UFC, athletic commissions are informally tied to the to promoters by virtue of the revenue that events the promoters put on bring to their, their state. Um, so that's a tough thing, but yeah, so they, it was definitely not as they weren't, they didn't have the budget to get around my understanding to get around to do this as much as, as UFC, uh, funded USADA fighters coming from all over the world. Yeah, It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, I wonder how much, well, especially they if you're trying to like, do 
pop-up tests, you know, and you're booking last-minute travel or something. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, there was a story when, when they showed up to, to test Jose Aldo before the, the fight with Conor McGregor and Fiasco there. So, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But, you know, the, I, you definitely check that video. I haven't seen have, – I have, have to watch that because that's uh, – maybe it's the right thing to do, but, man, that's intrusive as all, as all hell. Like, I, I, would have a, I would have a rule. If you if you're gonna watch me, you gotta hold it for me, man. Like that's <laughs> you're gonna make this weird. You gotta you gotta follow through. <laughs> I'm not gonna deal with this. It's too much, man. And on that note, I think, <laughs> I think we wrap things up. We've uh, we've gone uh, a little bit longer than we normally do, but it's because we you just like had it. so much fun covering. Oh yeah, I mean I would do this for hours, but uh, talking to the listeners, they like. Oh it. yeah, I hope so. They're listening, but uh, thank you all so much for taking the time out to listen to us. Uh, so uh, shameless selfless plug here oh yeah please go to itunes or google play and make sure to rate the uh, podcast five stars preferably and please leave a review it's much appreciated um next week we got some interviews lined up we're gonna have anthony johnson uh, glover tashera joining us they fight at ufc 202 alongside uh, conor mcgregor and adia so we have those two guests lined up for sure so you can count on those coming next week um other than that thanks for tuning in and Uh, Make sure to subscribe.